Well, welcome this evening to the worship gathering of Mosaic. Let's stand together.
first time around, uh, there's a couple ways to get plugged in quickly. One is to just meet somebody out in the info booth in the center of the foyer, and typically the people standing around that can answer questions or know somebody that can for you. Um, the other place to find a lot of information or get connected is uh, through the website. The news page has all the things you might need to know. Um, if I seem more subdued than normal, I'm coming off of a, a, my, I dropped my youngest off and he, for whatever reason, was just wrecked, you know? And so I don't know where you're coming in tonight. Maybe you had just a beautiful day enjoying the yard, gardening. Maybe you had a family celebration. Maybe you're in a stage of grief yourself. I don't know, but that's the beauty of coming together uh, on a night like this is that uh, we're all in different places and yet we're coming to worship the same God. We're coming to find unity. We're coming to find humility before the cross. So I'm excited to be uh, worshiping with you tonight. Um, one thing we've put on the, the family calendar, and, and by family I mean this church family, uh, is Street Fest. Uh, it's coming up in a couple of weeks. It's a Wednesday, the 20th. 
And I'm excited about it. And those four right there are excited, and these two back here are. And the rest of y'all, I guess I hope you show up anyway, even if you're not excited. We'll see if we can get it up in you. So the, uh, the, the, the reason that we brought it back, the reason we wanted to do it again is that it just feels like it's good to get together and play. It's the same reason why we uh, did the swim night in the summer. It's just we want you to show up. We want you to just be around other people. Come wander around. Maybe wear a costume. Maybe don't. I don't care. You do you. But just show up with the, the, the hope of meeting somebody and making this place feel a little smaller, being able to just recognize somebody else and, and be known by somebody else. So Street Fest, looking forward to that. Uh, the second is, if you are uh, celebrating a, a new baby in the family and you'd like to participate in the parent-child dedication, or maybe you have an older child that you've, you've never dedicated, uh, let, let us know. Um, you can contact Jen through her email address there, uh, or just email the General Mosaic account, and we can, we can get you uh, on the schedule for November's uh, parent-child dedication. So looking forward to the fall with you, uh, looking forward to these little times to celebrate uh, with one another. But tonight is a good time to celebrate with one another, too. So what do you think? You want to sing some more? Let's do it.
earlier this week, a good friend and another worship leader here at Fellowship um, led some of uh, the worship team through a devotional. And he talked about Psalm 23. And he said, if you're anything like me, and I resonated so much with this, I'll go ahead and assume that at least some of you uh, would feel the same way. That when he says, our shepherd leads us beside still waters, and when he makes us lay down in green pastures, it might actually kind of be forceful sometimes. You like me in that? Sometimes I need to be like laid down, you know? So I want to make a green pasture in this space tonight for you. In the quiet of your heart to meet with your shepherd. Maybe you need to ask him to lay you down tonight in a green pasture. And just to rest in his love. Take a few moments.
forgives us when we continually mess it up. Jesus, I pray that we can walk out of this room tonight still not knowing the answers to everything, but knowing that our hope is in you and that we love you. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Well, good evening. Why don't you be finding your way in your uh, Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 tonight, 1 Timothy chapter 3. In the passage we're looking at, uh, Paul is going to specifically address leadership in the church. Now, at the end of this passage, uh, down in verse 14, he says, and we've kind of looked at this before, it's kind of a summary statement. He said, I'm telling you these things so you'll know how to, how to kind of get things in order in the house of God. And so tonight he's going to talk to us about the order that comes from the leadership in the church. And, and we don't have to dig too deep or go too far uh, to see the significance of leadership in the church. You know, sometimes because we try to downplay it here at Fellowship, we don't, we don't want anybody to think that, that our elders and our staff are, are celebrities or special people. We kind of downplay it. You might kind of get the idea that, that we don't really value that level of leadership, but we absolutely do. And we see the significance of it, and it is critical. And one of the ways this shows up, uh, for example, one of the most popular podcasts in America right now, has to do with the fall of a church directly related to unhealthy leadership. So we got people all over the country listening to the story of how unhealthy leadership in a church caused it to fall. Anytime a well-known leader in the church fails, it makes the media immediately. Anytime we have another story of somehow a leader in a church hurting or abusing or, or somehow using that authority or that position to impose something unhealthy on other people, we hear about it. Why is that so? Because we know that leadership is significant in the church. But it's not just in a negative way. I was talking with some friends about the issue of toxic and abusive leadership, um, and I was telling them that, you know, I, I don't deny it. It absolutely is real and true and is far too commonplace today. But that's not my experience. You see, I've had the blessed experience of having good and godly and healthy leadership in the church in my lifetime. I grew up in the church almost literally in the building of the church because my dad was a pastor and we always lived almost next door to the church building. And, and for those of you who know anything about uh, pastors or staff members, kids, they think they own this place. And uh, you just watch them run around here. They think it's, you know, this is their home. And so I, I literally, almost literally grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor. Uh, both of my grandfathers were pastors. I have pastors and church leaders in my family tree uh, as far as you can reach. And as a result, I've seen both the public and the private lives of church leadership, not just in my own family, but others as well. And here's what I have seen from my experience. And if this is not your experience, let me just say I'm really sorry, and I wish it were. But my experience 
is that the vast majority of them have been humble, gracious people who genuinely care about the people in their church and would never intentionally do anything to harm them. That's the leadership in the church that I grew up under. That's the model of leadership that I have worked alongside and seen. And I'd like to say that's, that's the kind of leadership I work with in fellowship right now. So leadership in the church is not just important because of the potential harm that it can do. I want us to also see that leadership in the church is important because of the great blessing that it can be to God's people. And so we're going to look at what Paul writes for us in this letter about church leadership in these 13 verses. But before we read the text, I want to ask you to do something for me. It's going to be a little hard, but if you could... Set aside all of your ideas about titles and positions in the church. Because down through the years, we have put titles and, and roles and labels on all these different types of leadership in the church that they may be helpful at the moment, but for what we're talking about tonight, they're not going to be particularly helpful and they might even be confusing. So we're going to talk about a couple of things that are real high-level, general titles given to church leadership. And if you can just kind of set aside what you think of when you hear those titles, and let's just see what the Scripture says to us. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul begins this passage by introducing us to the office of what he calls the overseer. And the way he words this is that this is not just a function that he's talking about in the church. He's actually talking about something that has, has an idea of an office, a position in the church. A little later, he then he, he introduces us to a second office, and that is the deacon, which we'll get to. So to kind of give you a context, Paul probably wrote this about 20 years after those early days of the church that we read about in the first part of the book of Acts. And in the first part of the book of Acts, the church was primarily in Jerusalem, and it was led by the apostles. But as it began to grow, there were only 12 apostles, and as it began to grow, they said, we need some help leading this church. And so they found seven more men that they ordained, set aside, designated to help them in the leadership of the church. Then later, as we see the church expand, primarily through the missionary work of Paul and his partners, uh, the church goes out through the Roman Empire. And everywhere that the gospel was received and a church was established, they would appoint official leaders in the church. Now, let me make something clear. The Bible teaches what we often refer to around here as the priesthood of the believer. 
And one of the things, one of the primary things that means is that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as a born-again child of God, someone who's put their faith in Christ, no one stands between you and the triune God. There is no human on earth and no human in heaven that you need as a go-between between you and God. You don't need church leadership in order to get you to God. And you don't have to go through your church leadership in order to get to God. That's not the role and that's not the purpose. So the designation of leaders in the church is for a practical function. And we're going to unpack that more, but it's the idea of that to guide and direct and to keep the church focused and healthy. It is not to create a spiritual division between clergy and laity. It's not that there are the really holy people and then the rest of you guys. That's not the, not the purpose for this designation of church leadership. It's not to designate between the important people and the common folk. So let's look at these offices and, and see what we can learn about them. The first is the one we're going to look at is the office of the overseer. The Greek word that he uses here for the overseer, uh, if the office of overseer, is the word episkopos, which from which we get our word episcopal. And before it was a denomination, it was an office in the church, the episkopos. Now, this is not purely a, a New Testament church word. In fact, in Paul's day, it was a very common word used in the culture. And it literally means to look over or to look down on, but not in a superior, condescending way. It was a title given to people who had the responsibility of watching over something. You are a overseer. You're watching over this thing that you have the responsibility for. Or something, sometimes it was used for those who were managers or those who were guardians or protectors. So it was a common word, and Paul uses this common word to talk about this, this office in the church that he calls the overseers. There's a parallel term in the New Testament uh, that we read is called elder. And that's the Greek word presbyteros, and that's the word we get presbytery or presbyterian from. And so you can tell already that the Christian organizations and denominations have been organized around what they call their leaders and how they structure their leadership. But the word presbyteros literally just means somebody who's older. It's used as a term of respect and honor. And it was often used to designate someone who is a leader in the community. And these words were used interchangeably. So when you're reading the New Testament and we read overseer and we read a little bit later in, the, in, in 1 Timothy, he talks about an elder. He's talking about the same office. In Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul actually addresses the elders of the, this very church where Timothy is here. And he refers to them as the overseers of the flock. In 1 Timothy 5, we're going to see where he talks about the elders who rule well. And he talks about these elders being rulers and teachers in the church. And that's the role of an overseer. So these are not two different offices, but two descriptions of the same office. And then the second office that he talks about is the office of deacon. In verse 8, he says, deacons likewise must be dignified. When he uses the word likewise, um, the implication is that this, this thing that he's talking about is to be viewed in a similar way to the thing that he was talking about before. So he says overseer is an office, likewise deacons, and so that means they're an office as well. And so he's comparing two things that are similar. So he talks about uh, the, the deacon being an office in the church. Now the word deacon is actually not a translation, it is a transliteration. It's so if you want to know what's the Greek word for deacon, it's deacon. That's the word. And this was also a common word in, in Paul's day, but it wasn't a title and it wasn't an office. It was a description, more of a function. The most common way that the word deacon was used in Paul's day was to designate somebody who waited tables, somebody who served tables. 
That's a deacon. But the overall implication or idea behind the word um, is that it's somebody who serves under the authority or direction of someone else. They serve under the authority or the direction of another. So you may be wondering, well, why why is he spending so much time digging into these, the meanings of these terms? Well, first, because I'm kind of nerdy and I just like that. But secondly, more importantly, there is no clear job description given for overseers and deacons. You can scour the New Testament and you will not find one that says, okay, here we go. This is the job description of an overseer. An overseer is supposed to do this and this and this and these are the tasks and the the responsibilities. Same thing for a deacon. There is no job description for a deacon. So the closest thing we can get to understanding what is the role and the purpose is the meaning behind, well, why are they called what they're called? Why are they called overseers and why are they called deacons? Now, my own opinion um, is that the structure of the church in the New Testament is broad and vague on purpose. We're not told exactly how everything in a church should be structured and how it ought to carry out. And that is why, as you look through history and you travel the world in the present, you'll find churches that are very, very different in how they operate. And again, my opinion, for what it's worth, is that when God gives us the broader mission of the church and the broad roles of responsibility, and then we're given room to work those out however it works best for the people and the place and the time that the church exists. Now, to slide into my global outreach role, for example, one of the things that means is when we send people out to be church planters in other cultures, we're not asking them to reproduce this. We're not asking them to to take a model of Fellowship Bible Church Northwest Arkansas and put it in Southeast Asia. One of the reasons is because it would not be culturally effective to do that. What we say though is this is the DNA of what a church, a true church is about. This is the DNA of what a true church teaches and believes, and this is what we're supposed to be doing. Go do that. And do that in whatever way is effective for the people and the place and the time that you are. And so we have this broad idea of what this church leadership should be, and then we have the freedom to then take that idea of leadership and structure it however it needs to be structured within the body. And that's why I asked you at the beginning to kind of set aside titles and positions. Because in the context that I grew up, the word pastor and the word deacon may not mean anything like what it meant in another context. So with that in mind, let's talk about what are the roles and responsibilities of the, of the overseers or the elders? Their role is that of the authoritative oversight in the church. The overseers are to be the ones who who have responsibility for the church. They are responsible for it. And if you've ever been responsible for something, then you know what I mean by oversight. If you're responsible for something and you're a responsible person, then you will want to watch it. You'll want to watch over it. You'll want to, to care for it. And that's what the job of the overseers is to do. It is the authoritative oversight of the church. To watch over it as one who is responsible, and those responsibilities show up in primarily two areas, protection and direction. One of the first things the overseers and elders do is protect and guard the faith. Several weeks ago, Nick taught from Acts chapter 2, and he talked about how that in that early church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That teaching became the foundation of the Christian faith. And so later in the New Testament, they don't call it the apostles' teaching anymore. They just call it the faith. And the first 
way that the, that the elders oversee the church is they protect the faith, the foundational teaching and foundational faith of the church. They are responsible to make sure that the teaching of the church is in line with Scripture. That's why everyone who teaches here, everyone who teaches on this platform is under the authority of our elders. Every one of us. If you see somebody up here teaching, you know they are under the authority of the elders. And the elders are holding each one of us accountable to stay true to the teachings of the Scripture and the teachings of the faith. When they see the body uh, coming under spiritual attack or influence that would bring spiritual harm, they move in to protect the flock. Their responsibility is to bring the, the, the spiritual warfare, if you want to even call it that, that defends and protects the body that they've been given the oversight for. In that passage in Acts chapter 20 that I mentioned where Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, he tells them to watch over the church and protect it from false teachers who would come in and destroy it. And he describes these false teachers as wolves among a flock of sheep. And so what he's saying to them I can use another metaphor that the church uses, uh, that the Bible uses for leadership in the church. He says, you're like a shepherd over that flock. You guard them. You protect them. You watch over them. And then the second area of responsibility that belongs to the elders is that of direction. Jesus gave the church a clear mission, and every church has the same mission. And we, we boil it down around here this way. We have been given the mission of loving God and loving uh, others and making disciples to the ends of the earth, to the end of the age. That's what God's called us to do. Every church has the same mission. And it is the job of the elders to make sure that we as a church are focused on and true to that mission. But to take it even further, I think it is the job of the elders of a specific church to discern in a big picture way how does this church fit into the bigger mission of the kingdom and to lead that body, to live that out in that place where that church is. So that's the role and responsibility of, of the overseers. Now let's look at the office of deacon. The role of the deacons is to come under the church. So the overseer watches over and the deacon comes under. They come under the church in partnership with the elders to support and serve the body. They see that the church body has what it needs to live out their mission and calling. And their responsibilities fall in two areas, to equip and to care. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told that the work of the ministry is done by the saints. That's people who are followers of Jesus, all of us. But the work of the ministry is to be done by the saints. But just before that, he says, but the role of the leadership is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So essentially, the deacon's role is to ask, what do you need to be who God has called you to be? And what do you need to have to do what God has called you to do? And then they come alongside and come under to make sure that you have that. Now, let's look at verse 11 as I'm talking about deacons. In verse 11, it says, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So in the ESV, it says their wives. If you have an NIV, it says women. Or a New American Standard Bible says women. The Greek word can be translated either way. And then right after it says women or wives, it says likewise which is the same word that he used to transition from overseers to deacons. So again, like I said, it means that the two things we're talking about are similar. And so he's moving from the deacons to this group of women, whether it's their wives or another group of women. He's clearly putting them on the same level with the men who are deacons. Now, I point that out in light of what we studied last week about women. 
there is a place. God has a place for women to serve as leaders in the church. There is that place. So we've talked about the roles and responsibilities, but this passage really isn't just about real roles and responsibilities. It's primarily about something else. It's about the character of leaders. Now, we have two different lists, um, the characteristics of an overseer, characteristics of a deacon. If you lay them side by side, you realize they're almost identical. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to combine the two lists, and I'm going to group them by, th- by themes, and just we're going to run through them real quickly. But the point I wanted to start with is this. There's only one characteristic in here that's listed that is a skill. All of the rest of them are character qualities. You know what that tells me? That godly character is far more important than ability. And when we look for leaders, we're not looking for people who are good at something. We're looking for people who are good. Godly character. So let's run through them real quickly. The first area has to do with their connection to the faith. He says, first, there should be a tested and proven, obvious faithfulness to Christ and his word. Every leadership failure in the church begins with an erosion of that leader's relationship with Christ. Every one. And so he says that we need to look at their relationship with Christ. Do they have an obvious, proven, faithful walk with Christ? And are they committed to his word? Because usually that leadership failure is accompanied by a shift in their relationship to the word. Second, these godly leaders have a firm grasp on the truth. They need to understand the fundamentals of the faith and how to support and defend those from Scripture. And then third, they need to be able to teach these truths of the faith to others. Not all leaders will have a public teaching ministry, but all leaders need to be able to teach the faith. The second area has to do with self-control and maturity. And the specific examples he gives are related to alcohol, money, temper, and speech. We could give more, but these are just some good examples that he picks out. So whether you believe church leaders can only drink a little or they can't drink at all, the one thing the Bible is clear on, drunkenness is not allowed. It's not acceptable. And the point is this, under this area of self-control and maturity, if you're expected to live in a controlled way, you won't give control of your mind and body to something else. A love of money, for example, or greed in general will take over a person's life. He says leaders are not violent, which is a physical action comes from coming from being ruled by anger. Nor are they quarrelsome, which means they don't start arguments, but they control their tongue. Self-control and mature. Third area is with their family. They're expected to lead well in their home. The connection is if you don't lead well in your first household, their family, you won't lead well in the second household, which is the church. They're expected to be faithful to their spouse. The literal translation of husband of one wife is one woman man. The emphasis is not on how many times you've been married, although that may be implied, The emphasis is on the leader's devotion to their spouse. And what he's saying is they're to be so fully committed that this would exclude even the possibility of unfaithfulness. And finally, he says they discipline their children. He describes it as managing them and their being in submission. And let me just point out, this language of discipline and submission is never used of forceful domination. It's just not. It's always used of caring direction. The fourth area is their relationships in general. They are to be known as hospitable, he says. The idea is that they have open arms, arms and open hearts towards others, all others. They're also to be marked by gentleness, There should be a kindness and a tenderness about the way they treat others with love and respect. And then the last area is their reputation. It says they should be highly esteemed by outsiders and that they should be blameless. This doesn't mean that everyone has to love them or even like them. 
Nor does it mean that they're perfect and never do anything wrong. It means that even the ones who are outside, and that means, and that references the people who are outside the church, so that even if someone disagrees with them and considers them wrong on the issues, they still have a respect for them because of their honorable behavior. These are the character qualities that we look for and expect from our leaders. So how does all this practically get applied here at Fellowship Mosaic? We would say that the office of overseer is filled by our elders. These are men from our body who have been given authoritative oversight of the church. The role and responsibilities of deacon are primarily carried out by the men and women of our ministry staff. They exist to serve under the direction of the elders to support you by equipping you and caring for you as you live out your faith and your calling. As I said earlier, the vast majority of the work of the ministry is done by you, the saints of God. Now, I've asked one of our elders, Steve Weber, to come and to talk to us a little bit about uh, our elders here at Fellowship. So while he's coming, uh, Steve's going to talk about the perspective from the elders. I just want to briefly talk about being from the perspective of filling that role and responsibility of deacon as a staff member. And just want to say one thing. It is an honor for the last over 11 years for me to come under and alongside you to help equip and care for you. And it has been amazing for me to see what God is doing in and through you, the saints who are in Fellowship Bible Church. So Steve, welcome. Hey, Doug. Hey, Fellowship Mosaic. Good to see you. All right. So how long have you been an elder? Uh, coming on about four years now. All right. All right. Well, let's start by, um, let's take away a, a little bit of the mystery that might exist about our elders. So you guys aren't like a secret society. You don't, you don't wear creepy robes and meet in no. shadowy candlelit rooms or anything like that? Uh, no, but neither are we fashionistas by any stretch of the imagination either. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Got that out of the way. Uh, how would you describe the guys on our elder board? It, Doug, that's a great question. Um, the first word that comes to my mind is humble. Um, these, are, these are men that are people that you would just enjoy being around. And what I specifically mean by that is, isn't it great to be with people who are not concerned about themselves, who are concerned about you, who just, um, you can just sense that they, they want to care for you and, and, and be interested in, your, in you. These are the people you can just hang out with. It, we have a bit of diversity in our group. Um, some are retired, some are semi-retired, some are working, you know, full-time and uh, we have some in the, in the area of finance, some in the marketplace, some in ministry. Um, and, but it's not planned out that way, Doug. It's, it's not, there's, no, there's no agenda towards um, a certain background, to your point, about a particular skill. It just kind of happens to work out that way. And, and just in case you're wondering, there is no elder assigned to Fellowship Mosaic or to Fellowship Fayetteville or to Rogers. It just, it just happens to be where we choose to spend our time worshiping a fellowship. So there's nothing like that. So... Okay. A great group of guys. All right. So if the responsibility of the elders is to protect and direct, how do you, how do you guys carry that out? Uh, you know, I, I like the way that you put that. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of deep dive in that a little bit. Um, the number one and two parameters of us is to sustain the mission and extend the vision. Um, the, the mission of fellowship is to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. That's our mission. Our vision is simply to change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world. So everything that we do, I guess you could say in protecting and directing, goes through that filter. Uh, we're not descriptive in what we do. We're very prescriptive in what we do. Um, but when I think about protection, uh, one of the greatest things that we get the privilege of doing is praying for uh, those in the body. I mean, I can look out here this evening and see particular people that we pray for regularly. Um, it's one of the greatest privileges that we have is to do that. Um, we do it sometimes with the people 
or sometimes just we, we take time to pray, um, but a lot of that. As far as uh, protecting, it really is protecting that mission that you're talking about, Doug, where we just say, let's bring it back to that because we're, it's, it's not perfection. It's just what we're at fellowship is what we're about, okay, to keep it on track. Um, but you talked about authority, okay? And authority is a big word. And most of our lives are spent outside in, in the marketplace or whatever God's called us to. And when we hear authority, we have connotations with that. And I would just say this, within the church body, authority means quite a bit different than the world. Biblical authority, as it were. And our, our model, of course, is Jesus. And, and one thing I think about is if that's our model of authority, that's a pretty tall order. And I thought about this the other day when, from the teaching from just last week, um, is that Jesus did not do one thing in his life on earth for himself. Not one thing. Uh, sure, he ate and he slept and he needed that for his, you know, as, a, as, as you know, God, the God man, Jesus. But he did nothing for himself. And, but he had authority over the church. And so that's the model. In, in protecting and then directing is 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 giving guidance where guidance is needed um with you, you do five two ones um a five two one is a five-year two-year one plan and, and your staff does so much um in in working very diligently but specifically in what they do so i I'm, i know i'm giving you a long answer but i hope that's okay all right thank you um this this next question is about you personally what do you wrestle with and feel the weight of in your role as an elder? You know, I try not to think about it too much <laughs> because if I do, it can become overwhelming. Uh, the one thing that's great about our elder board is that if I, I, will, I will never speak on behalf of the elders. Mm -hmm. um, and if, if that question comes up, and it's only come up a couple times in four years, I guess, but I just have to say, look, I don't speak on behalf of the elders. So that takes some of the weight off, and it's a shared weight. And we're underpined, of course, by the Holy Spirit. We fully lean on the Holy Spirit. So, yes, it's weighty. Um, we've got a fairly big budget, a, a lot of zeros on it, so that you have a lot of weight with that. And some of the decisions we've been making in the past couple of years have been, these past 18 months maybe, have not been the easiest. Um, but I will say this, is that it's not so much about the zeros as it is about the ones. Like, you know, what's that $1 spent for? What's that $1 spent for? And so... One of the most boring things that we do in the elder board is the annual audit. And I think it's worthwhile just calling this out quickly that we, we are audited every year. And the reason I say it's boring is because there's not much to talk about. And isn't that a great thing that there's not much to talk about? Mm, that is good. That is good. All right. And then I want you to tell us, uh, what are you most excited about when you think about fellowship as a whole and the Mosaic congregation specifically? Like specifically Mosaic? Yeah. You know, here's the thing about, and we, we pray for you a lot. And whenever Mosaic comes up, we think this is a body that is producing and releasing. And I'm excited about it. This, this body has always produced and released. Um, I think most recently about Scott and Matt and their families and what they're doing at Samaritan Church right now. And if you're keeping in touch with them, I just got an update this past week on the things that they're doing. And it's just amazing things. And then, Doug, you're being released here soon as well. And so it just, it's just exciting about how this body is just so about that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks for giving us a little insight. And then I, would you, as one of those who has the responsibility for this body, would you pray over us as we dismiss? Thank you. I'd be glad to, Doug. Thank you. Father God, we, we thank you for your, the teaching from your word. Um, we thank you for fellowship Mosaic, and as, and as Ryan alluded to in, in his worship earlier, that this would be a place where we can come in here every week and rest and rest in you and be restored by you. I also pray, God, that Mosaic would be a place where those that don't know you who are seeking after you would come and they would sense your presence, uh, that this would be a place where they can come to know you and grow in you. I, I pray for the leaders here. I pray that they would... Uh, be enriched uh, by your Holy Spirit and be led by your Holy Spirit to change the heart of Northwest Arkansas and the world. Father God, we give you all the glory and we thank you for this time in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Mosaic, we love you. Be blessed. <laughs>